Okay, so this is our um, ongoing discussion of Simon Don's individuation in the light of notions of form and information. Um, we're still on chapter one of, or actually, sorry, we're going to be starting, uh, I think that should be chapter two, though it says three here on the page, but chapter two of part one, uh, sorry, of part two of the book, um, we're, we're still talking about vital individuation. So last week we, we, um, we finished the, the previous chapter where we were looking at the relationship between uh, uh, the colony forms of, uh, of these various organisms and uh, the degree to which uh, we can ascribe individuality to these organisms. Uh, so particularly organisms that, that have this colony structure so that they, the, what we would want to identify as an individual is in some ways not individuated like uh, an individual mammal or bird or something is. Uh, so these various invertebrates, uh, sponges and um, corals and, and hydras and things like that, they, uh, they have this colony form where multiple quasi-individuals have a, a shared circulatory system or they, they, have, they share various functions with, with each other. And so there are different degrees of individuation of the total colony as well. Um, so in the case of sponges, the colony just sort of grows more or less haphazardly, except that it preserves a certain overall shape. So there's something that sort of governs the growth of the uh, individual sponges that make up the colony uh, in such a way that they they uh, preserve the shape of the colony um, as a whole. But that's sort of the only structure that's imposed on the growth of the colony. And then in the case of other organisms, you have more, more structured colonies. Um, so there was one type of, I think it was a kind of worm or something that, oh, clavulins, I have no idea exactly what that is, but it's some sort of aquatic organism. They, uh, their colonies are always in a, a cross shape because there's always four new individuals that form through budding while the the, uh, the inner ones die out and then the the four individuals around the outside survive and then they bud and, and reproduce uh, and uh, and so the the colony grows in, in a cross shape so in this case the colony is is more structured and so has more individuality than in the case of the sponge colony that just has a, a sort of general shape. And then the last bit, he um, introduces this, he sort of just mentions it in passing or, or, or doesn't really develop this thought, but he talks about the way that corals have this branching structure, which as the term branching indicates, we can compare to the structure of tree branches or, or plant branching structures in general, um, even though, of course, corals and plants are are very distant from each other in the uh, evolutionary chain uh, or a tree of life. And then he also mentions that the structure of uh, a train of thought or of the association of ideas has a similar type of branching structure. And so uh, there, there's a sort of shared schema um, of growth that occurs in in corals, in uh, tree branches, and also in the the train of thought um, or the association of ideas. Uh, so that's just sort of mentioned in passing, but this general idea of like a, a schema of growth that can be generated in different contexts, I think is a, a very interesting one. Uh, but yeah, it's not really developed. So it's sort of an aside. 
but uh, yeah, so that's, that's more or less where we are from uh, last week. Uh, so we can start on the next chapter. I don't know if maybe someone could check the numbering while, uh, while we get started, because uh, it says three on the translation, um, but in my French copy, it says chapter two. So I'm not sure if this is actually chapter two or chapter, I think it's chapter two, because uh, I don't remember another chapter break in this part of the book so far. But yeah, we can check that afterwards. It looks like the last, there was a two before this on page 180. Oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder why there's different chapter numbering in uh, the French edition. But yeah, we can, I can uh, take a look at that later and see if I can figure out what the difference is. Yeah, so let's start on this chapter, possibly three, information and vital individuation. Uh, I'll read the first page or so of this uh, subsection entitled Individuation and Regimes of Information. A question can then be posed that is perhaps more formal than profound, since it can only be answered by a recasting of commonplace concepts. Does colonial budding consist in an excessively proportioned, simple growth of a single individual? Does it, on the contrary, give birth to distinct yet interlinked individuals? In a word, what is an individual? We respond to this question that we cannot rigorously speak of the individual, but of individuation. We must come back to the actuality, to, sorry, we must come back to the activity, to the genesis, instead of attempting to grasp the fully formed being in order to discover the criteria by means of which we will know whether or not it is an individual. The individual is not a being, but an act. And the being is an individual as an agent of this act of individuation through which it appears and exists. Individuality is an aspect of generation, uh, is explained by the genesis of a being and consists in the perpetuation of this genesis. The individual is that which has been individuated and continues to be individuated. It is the transductive relation of an activity, both result and agent, the consistency and coherence of this activity through which it has been constituted and through which it constitutes. The individual is hereditary substance, according to Rabot's expression, since it transmits the activity that it has received. It is what makes this activity pass through time in a condensed form as information. It stores, transforms, reactualizes, and carries out the schema that has constituted it. It propagates the schema by individuating. The individual is the result of a formation. It is an exhaustive recapitulation that, and can reproduce a vast ensemble. The existence of the individual is this operation of amplifying transfer. This is why the individual is always in a double and amphibological relation with, with, with what precedes it and what follows it. Growth is the simplest and most fundamental of these operations of transfer that establish individuality. The individual condenses information, transports it, and then modulates a new milieu. The individual assimilates a genesis and in turn carries it out. When the nervous system is sufficiently developed, this genesis can be assimilated by the nervous system and can expand into creative acts, like the imagery that the being invents according to a law of development that has roots in experience but would not exist without a self-constituting activity. Learning does not differ from genesis profoundly, but learning is a genesis that requires a very complex somatic formation. The individual is what it is in accordance with this activity of amplifying transfer which is an active genesis and not a genesis that is passively undergone. Degree, degrees of individuality are relative to the density of this activity. This criterion alone is fundamental, i.e. the exercise of an amplifying and transductive activity. If this activity is disrupted, is distributed between the whole of a colony and the parts of this colony, 
It should be said that the parts are incomplete individuals, yet the whole should not be considered an organism whose individuals would be nothing but organs. Indeed, these incomplete individuals are increasingly incomplete, the more dependent on one another and virtually less detachable they are. However, it can be noted that in morphology, the inter interdependence of incomplete individuals is marked by the importance of the functions of the shared relations that belong to the whole. If this relation between the parts of the whole is only nutritive, the individuality of the parts can still be considered noteworthy. For these individuals, the fact of, of taking in the same interior milieu establishes a bond between them, but this bond nevertheless leaves behind a certain interdependent independence. Uh, I'll stop here because this is a page long paragraph. So let's uh, pause for discussion. Um, so he, he begins by raising this question, which is a sort of pseudo question. As he says here, we can only answer it by recasting our commonplace concepts. So the question, in the case of this colonial budding, like in sponges or these various worms and, and other organisms that he's been discussing, in this case, is there is there simply growth of one individual, like does the colony as a whole constitute one individual that just grows through budding? Or is there the uh, birth or the coming into existence of distinct individuals, even though they're connected to each other? And, and this is a sort of um, false problem, or it's, uh, if it's understood in, in sort of um, the general terms of, uh, of individuation, um, as we sort of commonly understand it, then it's it's not really a, a question you can solve. Whichever answer you give, uh, whether you say yes, the, these are distinct individuals, or no, these are parts of one individual. Either way, it sort of doesn't work properly. Uh, like if you say that the various sponges are individuals, then the fact that they share a circulatory system um, contradicts that individuality. And then again, if you say that the whole sponge colony is one individual, then the fact that uh, each sponge has its own uh, uh, nutritive um, apparatus, so like a, the pores that, that take in uh, water and, and filter out, uh, I guess, plankton or whatever the sponge uh, lives off of, those, those pores are, are separate to each uh, distinct sub-portion or, or quasi-individual within the sponge colony. So either way, uh, whichever option you pick, you can always find something that contradicts that uh, general um, position. Really, there's no uh, there's no sort of yes or no answer to whether this organism that you're looking at is uh, an individual or not. It, there's only there's, there are degrees of individuation that correspond to the the process of of individuation or the the genesis of of individuation. So we can only ever um, ascribe individuality to an organism or to an entity in general, uh, insofar as it's part of a process of individuation and uh, trying to sort of look at the already constituted individual and, and see, you know, what criteria does it, does it meet? Uh, you know, it, can you sort of check off a box of properties that, that would make it um, consistent uh, or that would make it compatible with ascribing individuality to it. So trying to do that is uh, is never going to give you a, a clear answer in in these cases where you have these uh, organisms that that live in 
uh, colony forms and, and share various functions with each other. And um, I think an important point here as well is that in individuation, the, the, the individuated being is an agent and, uh, and the result of the process. So the, the process of individuation is a, a, a sort of auto-individuation or self-individuation. There's organisms or entities, they, they undergo individuation and they result from that process of individuation, but at the same time, they're the ones that are affecting the um, individuation process and bringing it about. So there's uh, the sort of dual um, role of the, the individual as both the result and as the agent of the process. And then he also points to a different sort of duality in the, in the individual, which uh, a duality with respect to what precedes the individual and what comes after the individual. So the, the individual is the result of a, a process of, of formation or of genesis. And so it, it has, it has the, the, the characteristics of a, a product or of something uh, that results from a process. And, but it also serves as the, the germ or the um, initiating condition for a new, pro a new process of development and, and formation. So um, like here, he's, he's thinking of the organisms that have been discussed uh, a couple of times where they have both a colony form and an individual form, where the individual form separates off from a colony and uh, has an independent existence uh, and has the the property of mobility uh, in a way that the colony doesn't. So it it moves around and then finally it finds a, a resting place of some kind. It anchors itself to the seafloor, and then it uh, it undergoes budding and forms a new colony. So the the individual has this role of uh, amplifying reproduction, so the capacity to produce new uh, individuals uh, in a way that the, the colony form does not have. Um, and then there's this bit on learning. Uh, so learning is, uh, so as Simon Don described it here, is, is that learning is not, is not sort of fundamentally distinct from, from Genesis. Um, so the, there's no sort of firm distinction between the uh, original coming into existence of an entity, uh, and, and in this case, uh, an organism, and the uh, process of learning, um, learning is, is a part of the development of the organism or, or there's a continuity from development to what we would describe as learning. But uh, learning presupposes a, a, a fairly complicated organism. Uh, so there has to be a, a nervous system uh, that is capable of undergoing change and storing those changes in some form. Um, I think maybe he, um, based on just the state of uh, biological knowledge at that time, he might have sort of over overestimated the degree of complexity that's required for learning because I know there have been some experiments in the last few years where um, worms of some kind were able to learn, um, like to display um, uh, acquired um, adaptation to an experimental setup of some kind. Um, and uh, so worms uh, are fairly simple organisms uh, in terms of their, their nervous system. Um, like they, they have a few hundred neurons uh, or a few thousand maybe, um, but um, 
they're still able to uh, display learning in a particular experimental setup. Uh, so there's uh, some sort of uh, uh, learning capability, obviously fairly limited, but um, still it's present in these relatively simple organisms. Um, so uh, I think that even uh, strengthens the, the point that, that Simon Don was making about the continuity between um, between development and, and learning. Um, and, uh, and so we should, um, we should understand learning uh, as, as being uh, sort of a, a process of individuation in the organism that is uh, undergoing the learning experience. So there's, there's um, rather than seeing learning as something that um, happens to a, an organism that's already completely constituted, we should see it as something that uh, is bringing about a further individuation process in the organism. So I would like to ask you, like, um, to double check if I understanding. I'm, I'm not uh, sure, like, if I um, fully understand the content. So connecting to the the previous part, particularly in the previous part, like as you explained, like, um, it mostly uh, focused about the um, focused about focus on particular schema of the uh, colony. What I understood about the pod is it seemed to um try explicate how how like um uh ramify how to ramify or how to um colony itself uh, how to like uh, produce how to uh generate something new uh in what structure in what schema um it could be possible. Um, in connection to that idea, Simon tries to go further to individual. What I understand individual is like, um, it comes a little bit later as far as I read, which is a kind of a center which con can control the process. The process here means like individuation. It's like individuation is the process and at the same time acting. And then individual is like, um, which can control kind of the whole process by using uh, the process of individuation. Like uh, you can talk more about information, whatever, things like that. So my question is that connecting to the previous part, like uh, the reason why like Simon don't talk about sponge or a colony and so on, things like that, like uh, using uh, biological terms and here and there, he tried to like uh, show how individuation could take place, occur in nature, in what kind of structure, in what kind of uh, so-called schema. And then individual is like a one form. I mean, not that the, I mean, it could be colony, but individual is like a, a little independence being, like independent from the colony which can control its process of individuation. Am I, am I right? Or is there anything I should do correct myself? Uh, I think that the, the big picture is, is correct. Um, we'll, we'll get to the, the bit about information and control of, uh, of the process of individuation uh, in a, a couple of pages. Um, so maybe we'll keep that 
discussion for that point in in uh, a little bit. In terms of the connection with the previous chapter, or or yeah, the previous chapter um, that we saw last time, yeah. So in that chapter, he had looked at the this ramification or this um, branching growth in in colonies of organisms, and uh, and. And he looked at the degree or, or whether we can ascribe individuality to the, the colony as a whole. So whether, whether the colony is something that is uh, describable as an individual. And, and we saw that there are different degrees of, uh, of individuality uh, for different uh, organisms, um, depending on how much structure the colony imposes on its uh, members or, or subcomponents or, or whatever. And then in this chapter, he's turning the focus um, onto the the actual individual um, that makes up the colony and trying to analyze the the structure of that individuation process. Um, so uh, rather than looking at the individual as something constituted and sort of uh, checking whether it meets certain criteria of individuality, what we're doing instead is looking at the the process of individuation. Uh, as a, a genesis of the individual, and then trying to um, look at the degree of individuation that, or a degree of individuality, I should say, um, that corresponds to that process. And we'll see, as, as you mentioned in a, a few pages, about this uh, idea of integration of information as being um, one of the one of the key components of that process of individuation. Yeah, by 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 listening to you, like uh, my question, much a little bit uh, more specific. Later, we are going to like uh, uh, discuss collective individuation. I mean, compared to psychic individuation, as far as I understand, it, here colony is like um, was brought up to just to show like how individuation can be a uh, uh, more like in terms of a quantity, I guess. If individual constitutes colony, then that's the difference story. It is more like connected to is connected to the collective collectivity. What I understand is about like a colony is just like a bring up brought up like a in biology or in nature to show how some kind of like a biological part uh, shows the process of individuation but the colony itself cannot be said individual some of them can be called individual but some of them not something like that that's my understanding if if individual is a part of uh, a colony then that's a different story um yeah i think i would i would not want to sort of um, identify this colony form with uh, collective individuation um, um, as it comes up in the uh, in the later parts of this book. So we saw, um, I think at the beginning of this part, he, he gives a sort of preview of uh, what's coming in the rest of the book. Um, and he distinguishes between um, what he calls a, a society in the, in a sort of strict sense or in a, a, a specific sense that he wants to use the term, he distinguishes between a society and then inter-individual relations and then collective individuation is something distinct from either of those. So a society is um, some sort of grouping of individuals 
in which each individual has um, some sort of specific function or, or there's a differentiation of individuals into those specific functions or, or roles. And so the, the sort of classic example of this is a, a beehive where each uh, individual has a specific role and um, there's even morphological uh, adaptation to those roles like a, a worker bee and a, a queen bee have different uh, uh, morphology and, and physiology. So there's uh, a society um, uh, in in the in, because it has the, these differentiated roles. I think the I think this um, lines up more closely with the these these colony forms of organisms. Um, so the the colony form is sort of an intermediate between uh, a society and uh, an individual, or it, it sort of participates in in the properties of a society and of an individual. Whereas collective individuation is, well, we'll see in more detail when we get to it, but it, it, it involves something uh, common to all individuals rather than differentiating individuals uh, according to their roles within the society. So there's a, in the formation of a collective individual, there's the, um, the genesis of something uh, common to all the individuals rather than uh, a differentiation of those individuals into specific roles. Uh, and, and so I think because of that, we shouldn't identify um, the colony form of the organism with um, uh, collective individuation. Yeah, yeah, true, true. So you you think like an individual constitutes a colony? Um, well, I would say that... Uh, for these organisms that have the colony form, um, the the colony is a, a sort of intermediate between uh, an individual and a society, um, and uh, so there's um, it. I think Simono even uh, says this uh, somewhere that um, you you can't distinguish between individual and society in organisms like sponges. Um, so there's uh, there's a sort of um, undecidability, I guess, um, with respect to what level of, uh, of aggregation we should describe as being the, the individual in the case of sponges. So there's, um, yeah, so whether, whether an individual and um, a society are two distinct uh, levels of analysis depends on the type of organism. And in the case of sponges, they, they coincide. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I think we should probably move on um, to the next bit, uh, just so we don't get um, sort of stuck on, on this first part. So um, would someone else like to read from the top of 2.10? On the contrary, if nerve fibers link the different parts to one another, the functionality of these different parts is bound by a much stricter inter interdependence. A strict functional bond exists with the community of information. The individuality of the parts becomes very weak. What needs to be introduced to determine the degree of individuality is therefore not the morphological criterion alone, but the morphological criterion and the functional criterion. For example, as uh, Rabot indicates, the cells of an organism like a metazoan are defined by well-determined contours, but they are nevertheless not individuals since each of them only functions under the direct, constant, and unavoidable influence of its neighbors. <laughs> each cell involves very strict rapport of dependence with the others, such that its functional activity is nothing but an element of the functional activity of the whole. 
this loss of functional individuality produces a very low level of individuality. Thus, independent of any genesis, individuality can be presented as characterized by functional autonomy. But this is only true if the word autonomy is given its full meaning. Self-regulation, the state of obeying nothing but its own law and developing according to its own structure. Uh, this criterion coincides with hereditary substantiality. Beings are autonomous when they themselves regulate their own developments and store information and regulate their action themselves by means of this information. The individual is the being that can conserve or increase the content of information. It is the autonomous being in terms of information, since information is what grants it veritable autonomy. If individuals that were bound together by a Xenosark had nothing in common but nourishment, they would still be called individuals, could still be called individuals. But if chemical messages pass with this nourishment from one individual to another, and consequently, if there is a state of the whole that regulates the different parts, then the autonomy of information becomes very weak in each part, and individuality lowers correlatively. What needs to be studied is the regime of information in a being in order to know what the degree of individuality of the parts with respect to the whole is. The individual is characterized as the unit of a system of information. When one point of the ensemble receives an excitation, this information will be reflected in the organism and will come back in the form of a more or less generalized motor or secretory reflex. This reflection of information sometimes takes place in the same part in which the excitation occurs or in a part that constitutes with it the same organic unity. But this reflex is nevertheless made dependent upon a center if the whole is individualized. This center creates facilitation or inhibition. In this case, there is a center in which the individual stores past information and by means of which it commands, monitors, inhibits, or facilitates, in the English way of speaking, controls the passage from a centripetal information to a centrif centrifugal, centrifugal, centrifugal reaction. Jesus. Um, what defines individuality is the existence of this center by means of which the being regulates itself and modulates its milieu. The stronger the center's control, the more individualized the whole, and the less the parts can be considered autonomous individuals. A regime of fragmentary information reveals a weak individualization of the whole. In animals whose parts are quite differentiated, such as mammals, the regime of information is very centralized. The information received by any one part of the body immediately reverberates throughout the central nervous system, and all the parts of the body respond in a short enough time with an appropriate action, uh, at least those that depend directly on the central nervous system. In animals that have a poorly centralized nervous system, the relation is established between the different parts more slowly. There is a unity of the system of, of information, but its speed sharply decreases. We can obtain a notion of this less coherent, less rigorously unified individuality by analyzing what our individuality would be if we only had sympathetic and parasympathetic systems. A unity of information would remain, but the, the reactions would remain slower, more diffuse, and less perfectly unified. The difference is so great between the two regimes of information that we are sometimes hard pressed to make coincide within us the reverberation of an information in the central nervous system with its reverberation in the sympathetic system. And this difficulty can sometimes veer towards splitting, as if individuality were indeed defined by a regime of information. A being 
that would have two totally independent regimes of information would have two individualities. What complicates the problem in the case of colonies of metazoans is the fact that every alimentary relation is also a chemical relation and that the importance of chemical messages is greater in proportion to how elementary the being is. This chemical sensitivity is what forms the unity and guarantees the individuality of a plant, allowing for the self-regulation of exchanges in accordance with its needs. The opening and closing of pores, perspiration, and the movements of the sap, as those of Sir Bose have shown. We can therefore suppose that the Anim that in the animal the existence of a community of chemical information lowers the level of individuality of the parts but nevertheless leaves a certain individuality intact. In some, the regime of information is what defines the degree of individuality. In order to appreciate it, we must establish a rapport between the propagation of the speed of information uh, and the duration of the act or event to which the information is relative. This section seems relatively clear to me in... Uh, comparison to some of the recent sections in the book. It's, you know, it makes sense that the degree of individuality is, uh, has to do with the propagation speed of information, as for instance, in a, uh, through a uh, central nervous system. Yeah, and, and so what um, sort of the, the role that a central nervous system plays in a, a, an organism um, is basically to speed up the the connection from one part to another, um, whereas in say a sponge colony, um, it takes several seconds for um, a chemical signal to diffuse throughout the body of the whole colony, uh, or from one uh, sponge to the a sponge on the other side of the colony. Um, in the case of a, an organism that has a, a nervous system, it um, it, it means that um, the reaction can take place in um, a, a fraction of a second from, uh, you can have um, an excitation of, uh, I don't know, an antenna or something on one end of the organism that produces a response um, at the other end of the organism within a fraction of a second. Um, and so this just means that the organism forms an integrated whole um, with respect to um, events or uh, environmental impacts of a much shorter duration. Whereas in the case of the, the colony of sponges, um, it's only with respect to relatively long or relatively slow um, environmental influences that the, uh, that the whole colony forms something like an individual. Um, in relation to uh, a relatively localized uh, um, and, and relatively uh, quick event, um, like I don't know, being being touched, uh, like a, a tactile impact on one portion of the of the colony. There, there might be a local reaction, um, but it doesn't have any uh, effect on the rest of the of the colony. Yeah, the the role of the nervous system is effectively um, to integrate with respect to uh, time uh, for the um, for the organism to uh, respond to environmental influences. And there's this, this interesting point here where he talks about how um, if there were some sort of um, uh, gap or, or lack of coordination between um, uh, 
say the uh, our nervous system and uh, um, our endocrine system, for example, um, and and so that um, you would have a different set of reactions, um, like your your actual nervous system and its connection with um, with sensory organs and and um, motor organs uh, would have one sort of set of, of reactions to a situation or an event. Um, and then your, uh, your endocrine system, uh, which circulates hormones in your body would have a completely different um, reaction. If this were sort of a generalized condition, uh, then you would in some, to some extent, you would have to say that there are two different individualities in, uh, in your, in your body, um, or you, you your body constitutes two distinct individualities. Um, we can, of course, there is a certain degree of uh, independence between um, the endocrine system and the, uh, the nervous system. So like, for example, you can, uh, there, there can be a situation where you sort of um, rationally recognize that something is not uh, a danger, for example, but you still have uh, um, your endocrine system is still um, uh, circulating adrenaline in your body and you still feel that um, uh, sort of tension or, or that uh, reaction of fear um, in relation to the situation. So you can have a sort of disconnect between your uh, nervous system and your uh, endocrine system. But this is a, um, a sort of uh, exceptional situation uh, it's not the, the sort of generalized um, condition of of uh, the relationship between those two systems. I thought the connection between individuality and self-regulation was interesting. And I, I guess I'm, I'm curious whether this will hold for psychic individuation as well. And kind of the relationship between the idea of, you know, he says... Uh, the individual obeying nothing but its own law. And, you know, I was reading a little bit of, uh, learning like a little bit about Freud recently and the sort of, obviously, the importance of kind of the submission to the law in the development of a, I don't know, functioning ego or kind of stable psychic structure. And I think like in Freudian terms, it seems like something that obeyed nothing but its own law would be it sounds like uh, the structure of like a uh, psychotic psyche. I don't know how this idea of, of total self-regulation uh, is played out in, at the psychic level and what its relationship to the collective is. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So he, he has already talked about the, this distinction between two sets of functions in vital individuation or in relation to living organisms so that they that distinction between the the colony form and the the individual form of the organism he he also described it as a relationship between or a distinction between the sort of social instincts and the the drives that have to do with individuation and he criticized freud or he he thought that freud uh, sort of overemphasized the the sort of conflicts between the two um or the the way that Freud always presents uh, the he he focuses on um, drives to the exclusion of social instincts. Um, so so um, 
he understands um, he understands the relationship between the individual and society as one of repression uh, fundamentally. So the the individual has to repress um, instinctive responses that are uh, counter social in order to be uh, incorporated into society as a, a sort of functioning uh, member of society. And so Simon Don argues that we need to, at the same time, as like in addition to the the drives, we have to at the same time look at these social instincts. We can see that in, in instinctive behavior, there isn't anything like this conflict between the individual and society, um, because the the instincts, uh, these social instincts are are satisfied through social um, interaction rather than sort of in opposition to social uh, interaction or social um, regulation or something like that. In relation to this bit on autonomy, um, I think uh, Simon Don would argue that uh, the social um, integration or um, the the sort of uh, functions of, of social interaction are part of the autonomy of an individual. Um, so an, indiv- an individual realizes itself or um, obeys its own law insofar as it develops as a, a social organism and uh, as a, a part of a society um, rather than sort of in opposition to a society that uh, that is something that is imposed from outside. Um, I think that's how he would um, sort of understand that he, he would want to um, get away from the idea of uh, a sort of essential conflict between social structure uh, or social integration and um, the individual's uh, autonomy or something like that. Okay, thanks. That's that's really helpful. So it, it would, to some degree, it, the individual would self-regulate towards social integration? Yeah, I think that's right. So the the social... Like if we understand human beings as, as social animals or social organisms, then part of what it is for an, in, an individual human being to uh, realize itself or to regulate itself in accordance with its own law is to, um, is to precisely uh, integrate itself into a society. Um, and, and that is, is not in conflict with the autonomy or the uh, self-regulating development of a human individual. Um, and then, yeah, and then maybe sort of the the other the counter um, sides to that is is that um, as we've uh, discussed earlier, the collective individuation is something distinct from uh, integration into a society. So there's um, uh, more; it's more complicated than just uh, the purely um, uh, sort of. Uh, social instincts uh, integrating into a society because the collective individuation introduces um, like a different layer uh, of um, uh, of individuation rather than um, sort of integrating individuals into a society. Um, there's a, a new a new form of individuation uh, in collective individuation, um, but we'll get to that eventually. I agree. I agree. That like uh, just what. Uh... My question, maybe like uh, I can, um, I can get some answers from all of you, like after reading next part, because like discussion about the uh, information continues. My question is about information. Um, when I studied, I mean, self study the Simunong, like uh, the identity of information always like uh, confused me. Um, 
I tried to connect Simongdong's idea to identity negotiation. Um, so I wanted to like uh, reveal like what information here uh, means and then how it works and how it functions, something like that. At the end of the day, I I thought I thought like uh, information maybe like uh, equal to events as a stimulus of external external environments, something like that. Uh, maybe the next part like uh, act and event is also mentioned, but still it's uh, still confusing. Like what exactly information means here. So after reading next part, maybe um, hopefully like we can talk about the identity, the nature, the identity of. Uh, information is yeah that's a, another good question too um yeah let's let's read the next page or so and then come back to that question on on what individual uh, what information means um because yeah i mean that's one of the key concepts of this whole book so um it's uh uh important to to try to understand what um what he means when he talks about information um, so I can read, I'll read the next page um, and then we'll stop for discussion uh, because this is again one of these multi-page paragraphs. Therefore, if the duration of information propagation is small relative to the duration of the act or event, an important region of the being, indeed the whole being, will have to take on attitudes and carry out the modifications suitable for this act. In the contrary case, the event or act will remain a local reality even if there is a re reverberation for the whole colony afterwards. Individuality is marked with respect to a type of act or event determined by the possibility of reaction and thus of control of the usage of information in accordance with the state of the organism, and consequently the possibility of autonomy. The autonomous zone, i.e. the zone in which information has the time to propagate in a centripetal direction and then in a centrifugal direction, uh, quickly enough for the self-regulation of the act to be able to take place effectively, is the zone that belongs to the same individuality. What marks the limits of individuality is the recurrence of centripetal and then centrifugal information. This limit is functional by nature, but it can be anatomical, for anatomical limits can impose a critical delay to information. This criterion applies to colonies. A colony whose parts are linked only by circulatory pathways has no means other than chemical means to convey information. Chemical messages propagate either through convection and the speed then depends on the speed of the currents, generally several centimeters per second, or through the diffusion of molecules in liquid. This diffusion depends on the temperature in the bodies present, but it is fairly slow, almost at the same order of magnitude as the speed of convection. In small organisms, this mode of information transmission can be quite fast. In organisms of several centimeters, it becomes quite slow. Therefore, the majority of the acts of defense and capture can only receive a self-regulation the basis of autonomy if information is conveyed by the nerves within which the conduction speed of nervous impulses is generally several meters per second and thus around five times faster than conduction by chemical means. Practically for the life acts of relation in animals, the limits of the individual are also the limits of the nervous system. Yet it must always be specified that it is only for the life acts of relation that this individuality is limited by the nervous system. Certain other activities can require reactions slow enough such that the colony then behaves as an individual. This is, this is the case, for example, when a toxic substance gets captured by an individualized part of a colony. This capture merely involves a local process, for example, a reflex of contraction or relaxation when the toxic body has excited the individualized part. But after several seconds, the chemical, message, chemical messages produce a global reaction of the whole colony 
that interrupts or reverses the movement of water pumping or retracts all the hydrants without any contact with the toxin having taken place, except in the part in which the capture reflex occurred. In this case, it will have to be said that the colony is, is an individual in terms of alimentation, but a society for the other functions. Individuality is essentially linked to the regime of information for each subset of vital activities. Um, yeah, and so Angus has posted um, a footnote here, which I think is uh, uh, a footnote from the translator, um, not one of Simon Dole's footnotes, but um, it's, uh, so a, a centripetal information signal is a type of signal that involves the sense organs. Um, so this is a, a signal that passes from the periphery of the organism to the center. Then a centrifugal signal is one that incites a reaction, a posture, or a gesture. So this is a, a, a signal that um, originates in the center and uh, passes to the periphery. And uh, yeah, so I think that's connected to your question about um, information and what, what exactly it means here. So the, the sort of basic meaning of information has to do with signals. Um, and, and Simon Don um, studied uh, information theory, the, the, um, the mathematical theory of, of signaling and um, the information conveyed by, sig by signals. Uh, he studied that very closely. And uh, the sort of uh, general prin principle of um, communication theory or, or, or information theory is that um, the the signal can convey information insofar as it's correlated with the variation of the source. So if the source has, um, like if, in the case of, uh, like the simplest case is a, like a coin flip or something like that, where there are, there are two discrete states uh, of the source and um, the the signal um, in order to be able to um, transmit the the information about whether the coin is heads or tails the signal has to have two discrete states that uh, that can correspond to uh, heads or tails in the coin and so um, in general you have to be able in order for a signal to um, transmit information it has to have uh, at least as many states as, um, at least as many possible states as the source does. Um, and, uh, and so this is sort of the, the, the basic notion of in information that Simon Dong is starting from. But um, we read uh, a few months ago now, uh, before we started the individuation book, we read uh, Simon Dong's text, Form, Information and Potentials, which is included as a, uh, uh, in the second volume as a, an appendix to, to this book. Um, and in that book, Simon Don argues that the transmission uh, notion of information or the, the theory of communication is, a, is sort of secondary to a more fundamental notion of information, which is, um, has to do with the, the generation of the, the the source message in the first place. Um, so he he um, <clears throat> he brings up um, the example of um, in the case of television communication, for example, if you if you take um, like a bucket of sand or or something like that and you dump it onto a table, and then you want to transmit the the information about uh, um, each grain of sand, uh, the location of the, each grain of sand on the table. Um, that takes a huge amount of information to transmit. Um, 
even though, of course, the the actual um, content of that uh, message or or the um, the actual situation being transmitted is uh, very unstructured. Like you've just dumped a bunch of sand on the table. There's no um, there's no real um, structure to that situation. Uh, so um, and then by contrast, if you want to if you take um, say a picture of a rectangle or a, a picture of a square um, and you want to transmit that picture, you can transmit it much more um, efficiently by just specifying uh, it's a square of so many centimeters uh, across and it's this far from each of the edges. Um, and that, so you, you just transmit a very small amount of information and then the person at the other end can reconstruct the, the square based on uh, that very small amount of information. Um, so the, the signal transmitting uh, the square, uh, the picture of the square actually has much less information in the sense of information theory than the picture that transmits um, the bucket of sand dumped on a table. But there's a, a sort of, there's something sort of counterintuitive about this idea that um, there's more information in uh, this just random collection of, of sand particles on a, on a, on a table compared to a, a square. And uh, so Simon Dong argues that this transmission notion of information is, is secondary to the, the notion of um, the generation of the, of the message in the first place. Um, and, and that has to do with the capacity to, to structure other situations in the future. So the square has a much higher, um, information content in the sense that it um, it can serve uh, to structure someone else's perception uh, after transmission or um, it uh, it has uh, it, it it has the role of a, a structural germ in in, uh, in future uh, percept perceptual processes in a way that the um, uh, pile of sand on a table does not it, because it's it's sort of structureless um so um sorry that that's a sort of a long answer but um the sort of short version is that um information has this basic meaning of uh, um the content transmitted by a message but it also has for simon don this um more fundamental meaning of um this capacity to uh structure an environment uh in some uh, determinate way that's a quite interesting like explanation and then um particularly like in tally example it makes me think that uh that's why like a uh, um theory is quite uh popular nowadays like uh, in relation to artificial intelligence and the technical objects and that like um the interesting po point is that information in that sense like um as you explained so far uh, in the book like there uh, there, it, it seems like a, pr a presuppose like there is particular structure. I mean, structure of organs or anything else. I mean, uh, schema already like uh, there, and then content coming in, and then in the process of individuation, like a, some transductive process whatsoever. As you just explained, like uh, it can be regenerated or it can just uh, transmit information, so-called information can be transmitted or it can regenerate something new. Yeah, that's perfect. The point I was confused is uh, that one. Like, 
I thought that uh, information, um, I understood information in relation to synapse, synapse, uh, biological synapse diagram, like, uh, you know, neuron in the synapse. I mean, um, that, that, that theory. So uh, if there is a stimulus from outside and then it will get neuron, get, and then synapse to like uh, transmit that, uh, that information to the, the other neurons, something like that. It goes around, around the things like that. I was wondering information is like something like a stimulus, but according to your explanation, it's more like um um more like a uh how do I say like a content which is which is like a transmitted in the process, uh which can be uh, generated something new. That that is called the information, not that just like only a stimulus from outside. Like information information has to do with the uh. Uh, maybe like uh, if I say now, like transductive process, not just like a stimulus from my side. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, I think if we if we look at um, sort of a, a bare stimulus or or just some sort of impact from the the environment uh, onto an organism. Um, that that stimulus only conveys information insofar as it has some uh, um, some effect on the organism. So like, um, uh, for example, human beings um, uh, can't perceive uh, ultraviolet radiation. Um, so shining an uh, ultraviolet radiation on uh, a human, it doesn't convey any information, even though it does have some sort of causal impact on the, the person, like, you know, in producing skin cancer. Um, eventually uh, down the line. Um, so um, it's only insofar as the organism has some capacity to, um, to be structured by that uh, stimulus, that the stimulus actually conveys information to that organism. Um, so in the case of the, uh, the square, uh, so perceiving a, a square um, uh, through visual perception, um, uh, it has a, a high information content in the uh, in the the sort of original sense of of information, or or this um, primary sense of information that Simon Don identifies, because that square um, can serve as the the basis for uh, a structuration of the uh, the perceptual situation um, for. For many people or over uh, many different uh, environments or something like that um, and so it's only it's only when the organism is capable of uh, uh, receiving that information and then responding to it in some way um, by either changing its structure or or um, uh, performing a, an action of some kind um, uh, some sort of response in general uh, is it's only in that situation that um, the organism is actually capable of receiving information from a stimulus. Otherwise, um, the what we would describe as a stimulus is just um, some sort of causal impact on the organism, but not uh, but not conveying information. Um, I I. I hope I can also like uh, figure out my other question related to like a capacity or potential, and then the uh, amount of information uh, in terms of a 
uh, apparently predestined structure, like how much information is enough for a particular structure, uh, or to what extent information working to make something possible. I mean that that comes to my mind because I I thought that Simong um, Dongsi theories related to ontogen ontogenesis. Ontogenesis gives me impression of like a limitless like a genesis like something can be something new can be um generated forever in fact that but maybe i might be wrong because uh i mean reading so far it's kind of like a, there is a pre pre uh structured like a schema and then information comes to particular particular individual and there might be some kind of like a limit of capacity I, I'm not sure about this part, and then maybe like uh, the next part would be uh, helpful to understand this one. Um, I think, yeah, I think um, what I would say is that um, the so that's sort of ontogenetic um, aspect of, of Simondon's theory or um, the uh, this um, capacity for invention and, and creation of something new um, is always relative to uh, to an existing structure, as as you mentioned. Um, but uh, but I don't I don't think he would want to regard that as a, a limitation as such. Um, so um, um, there's there's something like. Uh, uh, um, there has to be some sort of initial um, uh, structuration already, um, uh, or there has to be some sort of structure to begin with um, for uh, for a new process of individuation to sort of get off the ground. Um, um, so uh, in the case of like the crystal example that we saw in the first part of the book, um, there's already um, uh, a molecular structure even in the case of the the, the solution that you start with, um, and then uh, it's just that that structure is uh, at a very low um, uh, order of magnitude or, or very low scale, um, and the crystallization it doesn't so much create a um, it doesn't like create a, a, a structure out of nothing. It it instead um, reorganizes the structure that already exists. Uh, and so it produces a, a structure at a, a different order of magnitude than um, than had previously existed, and uh, it's, it's the same thing in the case of uh, of organisms. Um, so there's already some sort of structure uh, that has to exist in order for um, a new structure to be able to appear, um, which will be at a different order of magnitude uh, with respect to uh, to space or to time. Um, or, um, uh, you, you know, in the case of learning, for example, an organism, uh, is capable of, um, discovering, uh, a temporal structure. So they can, the organism can learn that whenever the bell rings, um, food appears. Uh, so the, the, they, um, they, they learn this temporal structure of events, uh, and, and, um, yeah. So they they um, but but that capacity uh, 
builds on the existing or re restructures the existing capacity to hear the bell, the sound of the bell, and to um, see the presence of food, for example. Um, it has to, the organism has to have those two capacities already in order for, uh, for it to be able to learn that the bell ringing means food will appear. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think the sort of inventive uh, side or the creation of something new is always um, a restructuring of an existing structure uh, rather than the creation of a structure out of nothing. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, that's what we're we're here for uh, is discussion. So yeah, that's that's uh, a good question because um, one one sort of difficulty with with that account um, as I just presented it is that um, the the question arises of how structure appears in the first place or um, what what is the basis of, of structure um, as such. So you can um, you can sort of go back from one level to another, you can say that, you know, the structure that appears, uh, the crystallization, the crystal structure is a restructuring of the pre-existing molecular structure and, and so on. Uh, you can sort of um, go back from one level to another um, and, and uh, sort of push the problem back one level. But uh, then the question of where structure appears from in the first place is, uh, is not addressed. Um, and, uh, um, so you you either have to I think just accept that structure um, is, is sort of eternal that it, it's sort of uh, structure there's always some sort of structure um, there's no such thing as a structureless situation um, and I think that's uh, Bersan's answer um, to to this type of problem and he he uh, he argues that um, uh, there's a sort of false uh, presupposition that that there is such a thing as a structureless situation um, that would precede structure. So does it have to do like um, uh, Simona was a student of uh, Ganglim and then uh, Meropoki, right? And then um, they are related to physiological metabolism, something like that. Uh, if we're going back to like Aristotle, like uh, thinking about form and matter. Uh, can we say that like a small was affected by like hylomorphism? Hylomorphism is that right pronunciation? Like uh, you know, like the theory of a form and matter. So based on that idea, maybe he uh he might think that there must be some kind of like uh structure, existing structure, and then he just brings that idea like a uh, without any doubt. Um, I would say that. Um, so Simon Dong um, criticizes the hylomorphic theory at the beginning of the book um, uh, in, in the introduction and then again in the first chapter where we look at the example of uh, the brick, uh, the formation of a brick. Um, so he, he argues that the hylomorphic theory um, doesn't account for the interaction of form and matter. Um, so there's this uh, obscure zone between form and matter that is not um, is not explained in the hylomorphic theory. And it's that obscure zone uh, or that interaction between form and matter is is what he um, is sort of uh, trying to explain. Yeah, I think he would not want to um, sort of base his account of structure on a hylomorphic um, picture of the relationship between form and matter. 
and I think, yeah, I think the account of um, of the appearance of structure at a higher level through restructuring of lower level structure, I think that account is a is supposed to be an alternative to the hylomorphic theory rather than um, presupposing the hylomorphic theory. For Simondon, we have to understand matter always as, as being structured matter, uh, I think. Um, but then at the same time, he wants to, um, he wants to see uh, structure as always being relative to something unstructured. Uh, the um, the pre-individual uh, is a... Uh, um, Sort of precedes structure, um, and then the after the process of individuation, the the milieu um, retains that um, lack of structure or that um, formlessness, we could say, um, from the the pre-individual milieu. Um, so there there's a, a sort of um, complementarity, I guess we could say, between structure and uh, the pre-individual which is formless um, or, or unstructured. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a, a difficult question, I think, for, for Simon Dong. So is that meta stable a phase like in the, in the process of individuation? Um, so the metastability, meta I think, um, comes in at a, a different point of the, of the picture. Um, so it's, um, Metastability is the name for, um, uh, or sorry, like the so the basic concept of metastability is um, uh, a relative stability that is not um, is not a final stability in the sense of a, a depletion of potentials. So, um, metastability is a um, a state that is uh, stable for uh, a certain time period. Um, but in which there is still potential for further transformation to occur. Um, so there, there's a, the concept of metastability is related to the concept of potential energy uh, and the capacity for uh, a system to undergo transformation. But at the same time, that means also like a fi fixity and then uh, on fixity, I mean, or in fixity of, in terms of a form and matter. I mean, if what you say, like potential, and then that has to do also information, like how it is transformed. And then metastable uh, phases, like uh, as you said, like there is an obscure, obscure sphere between um, fixed form and the matter. And maybe like uh, that area in, in a way indicates like uh, what Simungdo wants to figure out. Um, yeah, I think, I think so. Um, sorry, yeah. So Angus has suggested that we, we should probably wrap up this discussion so we can uh, keep keep uh, continuing with the, the reading for today. Um, so I'll, I'll just um, sort of wrap up by saying that, yeah, there's this uh, relationship between um, form or structure and the, uh, the, what the pre-individual that, that precedes form, form and structure um, and information is uh, is the capacity of form to bring about a transformation of structure and, and the creation of a new structure. Um, so uh, information in the, the sort of more fundamental sense that Simon Don um, introduces. So um, yeah, we always have to think, uh, when, we, when we think of information, we have to always think of, think of it in connection with uh, the potential for transformation. Um, 
which which is uh, sort of the other side of um, of the notion of information. Um, yeah, thank you so much. So sorry, and then so sorry to continue saying, and then thank you so much. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we're 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 here to discuss, but it, I, I do think it's probably best to uh, to move on for the for today. Um, so we're at uh, the top of. Uh, sorry, no, that's where we were. That's where we started last time. Uh, I think we're at two thirteen. Okay. Uh, due to this criterion, we can see individuality establish itself progressively in natomorph <laughs> oligocates. The new parts, which remain attached to their founder for quite a while, take on the appearance of a complete worm, while budding continues and other parts differentiate, such that it forms a chain of zooids. The new cerebral ganglion is grafted onto the sections of the pre-existing ventral chain. The nervous system forms a continuous hole along the chain that includes several heads with their respective ganglia. In the same way, the new intestinal tube is inserted into the old parts. The physiological activity is perfectly coordinated. Only the intestinal tube of the founder functions. All the movements of the individual are perfectly linked together. The peristaltic waves of the intestines regularly propagate back and forth without discontinuity. The circulation mutually belongs to the whole file. The bristles over the whole ensemble are animated by synchronous oscillations. Consequently, we can see that this ensemble of zooids includes nothing but a single zone of autonomy, coextensive with the nervous system. This ensemble is therefore a single individual. On the contrary, when the anatomical links that bind parts begin to dissolve, the tissues enter into histolysis following the same line in which the nervous system of the founder is welded to the new cerebral ganglions. Muscular coordination then breaks down little by little. The contractions become incongruous and these, the incongruities um, accelerate the separation. It can therefore be said that each zooid would already possess its own individuality before the separation, with its functional autonomy in particular, its nervous autonomy. Here, individuality is not created by the anatomical separation. It is from the start individuality that appears as the independence of the regime of information and accelerates the separation when the movements are put into disarray. It is interesting to note that the nervous and circulatory connections would still partially exist at the moment in which the contractions would already become antagonistic. Thus, independence, even the independence of the neural pathways, is not what creates individuality. Instead, individuality is created by the regime of information conditioned by these pathways. It's because the zooid's nervous system is developed enough to have its own rhythmic activity and to inhibit the nervous impulses coming from the nervous system of the founder that individualization can be continued. The marked foundation of individualization in the nervous system of the zooid is the recurrent regime of information signals. A certain individualization is required in order to, in order for this recurrence to be possible. But as soon as it is possible, this recurrence is established and accelerates individualization. The zooid's individualization can be dated the moment that it can inhibit the nervous messages coming from its parent. Let's note that a cyclical activity like that of oscillation is very is the very type of nervous functionality that can be produced by the recurrence of signals in an element of the nervous system or in a completely different network in which signals propagate. Anatomical independence is therefore indeed far from constituting the criterion of individuality. What constitutes the criterion of individuality is independence, or better yet, functional autonomy. In fact, autonomy is not synonymous with independence. 
autonomy exists before independence, since autonomy is the possibility of functioning according to a process of internal resonance that can be inhibitory with regard to the messages received from the rest of the colony and that can create independence. The independence of individuals with respect to one another is moreover rare and almost impossible. Even when individuals have no anatomical bond between one another, they undergo the influence of the milieu that surrounds them. And among these influences, there are those originating from the other individuals, which are components of the milieu. Each individual determines the reactions of the neighboring individual to a certain extent. This interaction, which is ongoing and unavoidable, establishes a certain rapport, but the individuals remain autonomous. There's no functional coordination among them. Information does not pass from one individual to, to the other. The zone of the conservation and recurrence of information is limited to individuals. Whatever the intensity of reciprocal action may be, each individual reacts in its own way sooner or later, more slowly or more quickly, or longer or more briefly. In order for information to pass from one individual to another, the centripetal information signals that have detached from the centrifugal information signals within an individual would have to be received as centrifugal by the other individuals. However, any information that emanates from an individual is received as centripetal by another individual, uh, which responds to this information via its own centrifugal reaction. In order for the interaction to become communication, one of the individuals would have to govern the others, i.e. the others would have to lose their autonomy, and centrifugal information signals emanating from one individual would have to remain centrifugal within the individuals that receive them. This organization, which implies that one individual becomes a leader, does not seem to exist in colonies. So I understand this point that he's making in that first paragraph about the priority of information rather than uh, sort of anatomical connection, for instance, in a nervous system, which can still exist where in situations where like information, the regime of information changes so that there's individuation, even though there's the same nervous system. Yeah. Um, and, and we can even see this in um, like certain neurological disorders where different parts of the body um, have different uh, systems or are, are not integrated properly into the, um, the total uh, system of information of the organism. Uh, so that like there are, um, I can't remember the name of the disorder, but there's certain disorders um, which interfere with um, the sort of integration of information from the two hemispheres of the brain um, so that um, you effectively have uh, the left and right hemispheres acting uh, more or less independently of each other. And so you can, you can even, like there are sort of elaborate um, psychological experiments you can set up where you can ask a question of a person who is suffering from this disorder and you can get the left and right sides of the brain to um, respond separately. Like you, you ask them to write something with their left hand, which, uh, which, um, uh, is controlled by the right side of the brain uh, and then you ask them to point at something with their right hand which is controlled by the left side of the brain and the the messages that the left and right side of the brain are um, uh, their the responses to the question will be different they, they won't um, match up with each other uh, so um, yeah so there's a even even though anatomically there might be um, 
the connection might still be there between the left and right sides of the brain. They aren't integrated with each other um, into a, a single uh, regime of information. Yeah, and, and Angus has also posted uh, a question in the chat um, asking if multiple sclerosis involves uh, this kind of fragmentation of regimes of information. Um, hmm, I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I'm not uh, super familiar with how uh, MS works. Um, I think uh, I think there is something like this uh, sort of fragmentation in the sense that um, portions of uh, of the body um, stop being integrated uh, into into a system of information, so that you're no longer capable of um, uh, receiving information from that portion of the body and uh, and then retransmitting. Um, um, retransmitting uh, a signal to the, to that portion of the body. Um, yeah, so it does seem like there's uh, some sort of role of uh, information fragmentation or um, a breakdown of, of uh, transmission of signals is part of what um, constitutes MS. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, super familiar with um, how it works exactly. Um, but I think the, the case of these uh, these worms is interesting because um, we see that um, the individuality of of the uh, so the the worms they they sort of form this chain of uh, of zooids or of sort of not fully distinguished individuals um, and for a while they're they're integrated in in terms of the, Oh, sorry, Ollie, could you? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so for for the first bit, they um, they're integrated with each other in terms of their uh, regime of information. So um, they have uh, like the movement of the intestinal um, um, walls is synchronized across the whole chain of these zooids. And uh, I think he mentions also the the cilia, the hairs um, that. Um, are also synchronized across the multiple zooids. Um, but then um, after a while, the synchronization breaks down so that individual zooids now form their own separate uh, regimes of information. And the this asynchronous or, or unsynchronized uh, movement is actually what brings about the separation um, so that uh, brings about the anatomical separation. So the the anatomical separation is not the the basis of individuality, but it it um, actually brings about the uh, sorry the, the the anatomical separation is brought about by the informational separation of the uh, individual zooids. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting um, because we we tend to um, sort of like our I guess our default concept of of individuation um, would would make anatomical separation sort of the the main criterion for for individuality, um, but here it's uh, anatomical separation is a, a result of a, a more fundamental uh, informational separation. Um, so yeah, let's we have about eight minutes left. So let's read. I'll read the the last uh, page or so of this subsection. Um, we might not have time to discuss it. Uh, fully, but we can come back to anything that, that remains uh, next time. 
when material obstacles persist and limit the displacement of individuals functionally autonomous and anatomically distinct but materially interdependent organisms remain attached to the same support they are nevertheless individuals even if they are attached to one another they play the role of a substrate with respect to one another in conclusion to the attempt at determining this functional criterion of individuality it can be said that the hydrants of a colony of sea lenterates possess the individuality of local and rapid reactions such as contractions and movements of cilia there is no nervous system that establishes establishes a functional synchronization between the hydrants in in contrast the individuality of the slow reactions belongs to the colony hydrants communicate with one another via the system of hollow canals in a sinusarch canals that directly culminate in the various gastric cavities and thereby established among the hydrants an obvious functional dependence the products of the digestion and assimilation of hydrants flow into a sort of mutual circulation each hydrant is nourished by and also nourishes the ensemble of the others in certain cases the individuality of the parts of a colony can become temporarily complete this is the case of millipores and hydrocorals all the hydrants are unified by a system of interlinked canals in a rich hollow network within the calcareous mass but since the hydrants do not stop expelling limestone which accumulates around them from time to time they dislodge from the bottom of the chamber go back up towards its orifice and lose all relation with the system of canals but soon they again begin to proliferate and produce around them a series of buds linked together by a new system of canals from then on each hydrant becomes the center of a synobium associated with other synobia each one originating from the complete yet fleeting individualization of hydrants detached from the older synobia in colonies of bryozoans there can either be a simple juxtaposition of individuals or a circulatory unity of the ensemble since each bryozoan lacks a heart in colonies of tunicates and golden star uh there be golden star tunicates i believe uh golden star tunicates the individuality of the parts is complete despite the existence of a shared cloaca in the golden star tunicates in fact the shared cloaca cannot regularly convey information oh I, before um before we get into this section that i just read i forgot to mention um one of the footnotes in the previous section that we read um so footnote 29 is uh, i think an important one um <clears throat> and it's connected with um the question that we were talking about uh, in relation to information um so i'll just uh, sort of translate it on the fly unless someone else has it um up and and ready now but um so he says this expression signals of information is employed in order to maintain the difference between information properly speaking which is uh, a way of being of a system uh that's the presupposes potentiality and heterogeneity uh and the signals of information uh called in general information um even though they are only uh an instrument uh which is not necessary uh which is particularly developed when the the parts uh forming a system are distant from one another as is the case in a macroorganism or in a society um so yeah he he points out um these two different notions of information and he uses the, here he doesn't use this um sort of consistently but yeah so he uses the term information signals for the uh what is generally called information in information theory or communication theory and then he he wants to reserve he wants to reserve the the term information for the more fundamental notion um which has to do with a a system uh that contains potentiality and potentiality and heterogeneity within it 
but he, he again doesn't use that term uh, consistently in that sense. So sometimes he talks about information um, in the sense of signals of information. But yeah, so going back to um, the part that we that we just read. Um, sorry, let me just skip ahead here. So yeah, the there there are uh, the individuality of uh, a group of organisms um, that form a colony is is um, a relative individuality in the sense that it's uh, only a certain degree of individuality rather than a, a either or um, sort of yes or no whether it's an individual or not but it's also relative to specific functions um, so that um, uh, in the case of um, the colony of stelenterates for example he says that there are um, the the organisms preserve some sort of individuality um, with respect to um, local and quick reactions, so uh, reflexes of uh, capturing food or or um, evading prey or something like that, are are individualized. But it um, the slower reactions, so um, uh, chemical um, uh, operations are are shared across the whole organism, the whole colony of organisms. Um, so there's um, the, individu the individuality with respect to slow reactions uh, is found at the level of the colony rather than of the um, member of the colony. So there's uh, a relativity of individuality um, to the specific functions. So certain functions can be uh, individualized while others are at the level of the colony. Yeah, so I think we can end here for today. Um, so we'll pick up from uh, page 215, uh, subsection 2. And uh, yeah, so thanks everyone for uh, questions and, and comments um, and see you all next week.